This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Here it is, only the first Sunday in the new year, after we've all been through all the Christmas festivities and feasts. And now you're quite sure that the preacher has quit preaching and gone to meddling when you see that the sermon subject for today is, How much do you weigh? There are certain questions which are all right to ask another person. And there are certain other questions which are totally off limits. One question which is surely improper is to ask a lady her age. Someone said that there are only two women in the Bible whose ages were told, Sarah and Anna. And God himself was the one who told their ages. And even he did not do this until these ladies were around 100 years old. Well, the other question, the one we're dealing with this morning, is the one about your weight. How much do you weigh? One evening, thousands of years ago, a king gave a great feast. He invited over a thousand people to come and celebrate with him. But right in the middle of the banquet, a part of a hand appeared from nowhere and wrote on the wall four words. Part of the words which interpreted meant thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. On another occasion, a man named Job was talking with some of his friends, supposed to be his friends. They were more acquaintances, I guess you'd say. We call them Job's comforters. But they'd been telling Job about all his troubles, and uh, they were explaining that his troubles had come as a result of some terrible sin in his life. Job then made a magnificent defense of himself, and he said, Let me be weighed in an even balance, that God may know my integrity. This morning I want to ask you three questions. First is this, how much do you weigh in your own scales? This is a set of scales that no one can see but you yourself. Paul said, let a man examine himself. When was the last time you took a long inward look at yourself? What is the purpose of your life? What kind of pictures do you hang on the wall of your mind? What kind of thoughts occupy the majority of your time? Remember, you're made up of what you think about all day long. The scripture says in Proverbs 23, verse 7, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Dr. Roy Angel, a great preacher from a number of years ago, once preached a sermon in R.G. Lee's church in Memphis, Tennessee. After the sermon, as the crowd thinned out, a physician came up to him and said, uh, Dr. Lee, uh, Dr. Angel, I want to want to have you to come over to our hospital while you're here in Memphis. We want to examine your head. <laughs> Dr. Angel smiled and said, was the sermon really that bad? The doctor said, laughing, no, we want to check up on you again after that recent automobile accident you had when you received a head injury. We want to be sure that you're well cared for medically. So Dr. Angel thanked the doctor and promised to be in his office the next day. As the preacher waited in the outer office, he saw the door to the doctor's office open, and through it came 
a very miserable looking man. The doctor waited until the man was totally gone out the front door and then he beckoned for the preacher to come into his office. A worried look was still on the doctor's face. He said, Dr. Angel, the man who just left my office is going to kill himself. I've been talking to him for over an hour. When I felt I could not change his mind, I told him that you were sitting out there in the waiting room and I would like so much if he would let you tell his troubles to you. You know about how to help people like this. That man's answer was, no, I don't want to talk to that preacher. I'm too rotten to live. The things I've done are inexcusable and horrible. I deserve to die, and I'm going to die today. The world will be better off when I'm dead. Dr. Angel, who told this story, did not say whatever happened to that man. But here was a man with whom it made a great deal of importance as to what he weighed in his own scales. But let me ask you a second question. What do you weigh in the scales of others? These are the scales that you and I cannot see. What do others think of you when they see you? The important thing is not how handsome or how beautiful you may be, but what kind of person do they see when they know you? Do you remember the lines from the Scottish poet Robert Burns? Oh, would some power the gift you give us to see ourselves as others see us. These scales that reflect what others see are more important than we're willing to admit sometimes. Oh, you hear people boast, I don't care what other people think, this is what I'm going to do. Well, it is true that we do not need to organize our lives totally around the opinions of others. But in another sense, the scales of others can be a true reflection of how much our lives are a blessing to them. Are people better because of your life? Is someone a better person because he or she knows you? Are people glad when you walk into a room? Are you greeted with smiles when folks see you coming? Or does silence fall over those who are gathered there when you walk in? Whatever your position in life may be, you have the possibilities within your reach to be a blessing to someone else. I want to tell you two brief stories, both of them are true, to illustrate what I'm saying about how your life can bless others. The first story is about a pastor of a church in Abilene, Texas. He once invited a visiting minister to come and conduct a series of services in his church there in Abilene. During the week, these two preachers went to a big garage to see a mechanic who worked there. He was not a Christian, didn't profess to be. The mechanic's wife and his children were members of the church there. And this young man had recently been attending some but he had never before made a public profession of his faith in Jesus Christ. And so these two ministers wanted to talk with him about this. They went to where he worked. When the ministers arrived at the shop, they first asked the owner if they might stop one of his mechanics long enough to talk with him about his spiritual life. To their surprise, the owner said, as he shook his head, no, I'm afraid you can't disturb him right now. 
In fact, I think you're really too late. Well, the preachers asked why. And the owner explained, if you'll just look out from this office window, you'll see two men standing near the far corner of my garage. One of them is the man you want to talk to, but he's busy with somebody else right now. The preacher who was the pastor of that church looked and his mouth dropped open. Why, that's the mayor of Abilene who's talking with the man we came to see, he exclaimed. Then the manager of the garage explained it all. He said, 15 minutes ago, the mayor came in and asked me if he could pay the salary of that young man for half an hour because he wanted to talk with him about the Lord. I told him firmly, no, Mr. Mayor, you cannot pay me anything, but you can go back there and talk with him just as long as you want to. And you tell him for me that he can have the whole afternoon off if he wants to talk with you about his salvation. Then turning to the two ministers, the manager said, our mayor lives his religion. He doesn't have to make any apologies. There's no embarrassment when he goes to talk to somebody about the Lord. He doesn't push. He doesn't force his way. He's not obnoxious. But everybody in this city knows he tries to live just like the Lord wants him to live. The other true story is about a very fine Christian woman who lived in New York City. She was an invalid, but she so reflected the Spirit of Christ that she had great influence on every service of the church where she was a member. She said very little, though. She was a poor woman as far as worldly goods were concerned. Some of the businessmen of the church decided they wanted to do a wonderful thing for this lady. They offered to buy for her a beautiful house and give it to her so that she might live her last days in the security of her own home. She was pleased beyond words when they told her of their plans. And so they let her select the place where her house was to be built. Of all places, she selected a run-down lot in the slums of the city. The men said, no, no, we don't mean that. We want you to live in the best section of the city, a place where it'll be safe for you. But she insisted. And so, to please the old woman, they built a fine house in the midst of an area of prostitution, gambling, and drugs. She had not lived there but a few days when two women who worked the streets came to visit her. They listened to her talk. And when they left, they walked a long way down the street before either of them spoke. And finally, one said, Did you feel strange as you listened to that old woman speak? The other replied, Yes, I sure did. In fact, I have not felt that way since I was a little girl at my mother's knee. These women had not been moved so much by the woman's words as they had by the power of God. And this kind of influence began to be noticed. Nothing happened overnight, but within 10 years, there was not to be found a house of prostitution, a gambling den, or a drug hangout within 10 blocks of her house. This woman had not preached a single sermon. She had not sung a song but she had reflected the Spirit of God. What preachers and sermons and even political efforts in city renewal had not been able to do, 
the spirit-filled life of one woman, an invalid, had done. How much do you weigh in the scales of others? Finally, let me ask one other question. How much do you weigh in the scales of God? These are the scales that Job was talking about when he said, let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know my integrity. God's scales are exactly accurate. In fact, we might sometimes like to step off and back up and say, there must be something wrong with these scales. You know, those scales in the doctor's office are always five or 10 pounds ahead of the more accurate scales we have at home. Well, how much do you weigh in God's scales? We're not thinking here of the negative aspect of weighing too much. Rather, we're thinking about how God sees us and loves us far more than we love ourselves. Many of you are familiar with the name Max Lucado in his book, uh, A Love Worth Giving. He describes in beautiful words how much God loves you and me. Here's how Max Lucado says it. Would you do what Jesus did? He swapped a spotless castle for a grimy stable. He exchanged the worship of angels for the company of killers. He could hold the universe in his palm, but he gave it up to float in the womb of a maiden. If you were God, would you sleep on straw, nurse from a breast, and be clothed in a diaper? I wouldn't. But Christ did. If you knew that only a few would care that you came, would you still come? If you knew that those you loved would laugh in your face, would you still care? If you knew that the tongues you made would mock you, the mouths that you made would spit at you, the hands that you made would crucify you, would you still make them? Christ did. He humbled himself. He went from commanding angels to sleeping in the straw, from holding stars to clutching Mary's fingers. The palm that held the universe took the nail of a soldier. Why? Because that's what love does. It puts the beloved before itself. Your soul was more important than his blood. Your eternal life was more important than his earthly life. Your place in heaven was more important to him than his place in heaven. And so he gave up his so you could have yours. He loves you that much. And because he loves you, you are of prime importance to him. When I was a very young boy, we used to raise chickens. One thing I learned early on about chickens was that if one of them was sick, it had to be removed from the rest because the healthy chickens would peck a sick one to death. God is just the opposite. The sick, the small, those who are downtrodden, those are the little ones that God takes special notice of. God remembers the small birds of the world. We remember the large birds, the beautiful birds. We have pictures of eagles on our money. 
falcons and parrots get on TV shows. We make statues of beautiful blue jays and lovely red cardinals, beautiful colors these birds have. We name our athletic teams after eagles, falcons, blue jays, and cardinals. But God remembers the small birds of the world. He notices the sparrows. Can you imagine a six-foot, seven-inch man who weighs 325 pounds playing for a pro football team named the Sparrows? <laughs> Jesus stands in contrast in pointing to the Sparrows, the most inexpensive bird of his day. Jesus says five Sparrows are sold for just two pennies, but God doesn't forget a one of them, so don't be afraid. You are worth much more than many sparrows. Luke 12, verses 6 and 7. So let's come back to ask the same question as the beginning. How much do you weigh? The answer is, in God's sight, you are a heavyweight. And that is a true cause for rejoicing. Oh God, we don't have words to thank you for the way in which you love us. We're all sinful, wayward sheep. We go our own way, but you love us through it all. Thank you so much, oh God, for your infinite love. Help us to love you back and to show that love the way we live and serve you by serving others. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.